Welcome to the Grazing Grass Podcast, episode 41. The number one thing I've learned so far, and like I said, it's relatively new to me. So, and also, don't be afraid to try something new. So, you never know where it's going to take you. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. And every episode features a grass farmer and their operation. I'm your host, Cal Hardage. On today's show, we have Lily Beringer of Beringer Family Farms. She's a 25-year-old third-generation farmer in Iowa. And if my memory serves me correctly, she is our first guest from the great state of Iowa. She is combining her passion for cow-calf operation with rotational grazing, and she's just getting started on her journey. And it is a wonderful interview. I think you will enjoy it. But first, I have two favors to ask this week. First, if you haven't signed up for our email list, go to grazinggrass.com and sign up for our emailing list. Secondly, we have a giveaway this week. Listen after Lily's interview to find out more. Let's talk to Lily. Lily, we want to welcome you to the Grazing Grass Podcast. We're excited you're here today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm so excited. Lily, can you tell us about yourself and your operation? Sure, absolutely. Um, my name is Lily Beringer. I'm a 25-year-old third-generation farmer outside of Cascade, Iowa. So if you guys aren't familiar with that area, we're in the northeast corner about 30 minutes from the Wisconsin border. That kind of helps and puts things in perspective. Um, my grandpa started farming in the 1950s and then my dad and my uncle farmed with him while he was alive. And then I'm actually one of 26 grandchildren that is taking our family farm into the next generation. So that's something that I'm super proud of. Um, I actually have four, I'm one of five in my immediate family with three brothers and none of them want anything to do with the farm. So here I am just trying to make it work, I guess. Um, we have always been beef producers our whole entire life. When grandpa was alive, we fed around 1,200 head of feeder cattle on feed at all times. And then we've always had the row crop side. Um, and then my whole transition and way into the farm has kind of been incorporating the cow-calf side. That's actually where like my heart and passion is. And that's where a lot of growth has happened in the past few years. And we actually transitioned from only feeding out our own cattle to then now custom feeding um, on the feedlot side, just from a financial risk standpoint with all types of things of farming. So um, from that aspect, how I kind of got incorporated maybe into the cows and the grazing side was somewhat by accident. I mean, I graduated from college in 2018 and I had started my cow herd when I was in college, just only had like 10, 20 cows. And I, my plan was just hopefully to continue to just kind of slowly keep growing. We have had a pasture. It's actually on the home farm um, our whole life, but it was grandpa just, the cows were just there kind of for a lawn ornaments. The bulls were in all year. They calved all year. They never left. It just was one of those deals just they're just there. <laughs> um, but my kind of plan was just to hopefully kind of just keep growing slowly with that. Uh, but then sometimes things don't go the way that you thought they were going to. And grandpa passed away in 14 
2014 and grandma passed away in 2019 and um through i guess Nice way of saying it, some family discrepancies with how the will was and how things happened. Farms were getting sold, and I basically had a big shift in things on the home farm, which I had just mentioned originally wasn't supposed to be sold until my uncle passed away, but it was getting sold through all of these changes that I just had to make a decision super fast. What am I going to do? Like, I don't want everything that I want to do to try to keep the farm going just to be gone in the snap of a finger. And so it was 110 acres and there was only 28 acres that were tillable that we put corn on. The rest is just pasture with some timber ground and everything. And this was in just 2020 where I was kind of like figuring out how this was to work. My, I was told I had 60 days to be able to buy this farm. And obviously land prices were really high. They're higher now, but they were high. And I knew for a, for like, I, there was no way I was going to make my land payment on just 28 acres of crop ground. And so um, I went through my to my FSA office and I talked with a bunch of different people of how can I somehow make this farm closer to cash flowing. And by doing that is when we made the transition of I seeded everything down, I put in some hot wires, fenced it, got water set up, and then uh, allowed me to increase my herd from 20 cows to 60 cows to get closer to have more animals on it. Um, and then that's how I just like kind of stumbled really into the rotational grazing standpoint with grass and everything because I had to increase my cow herd in order to make my cash flow work to pay for my um, land payment. And the only way to do that on the ground that I had was to rotational graze. So I had no experience to it prior. Um, and so just in March of 2020, like a little over, you know, almost coming on two years is when I bought the farm. Um, and so the spring before is when I like just started incorporating the rotational grazing. But this year is probably my first year fully of doing that. And it's the first year that like the seeded, the ground that was seeded down finally was like the very first year of that. So it's been an awesome journey. I'm just learning a lot, but I'm completely sold on the whole deal. And thankfully I, through the FSA office, um, used the equip program. So I had some cost share on my seed cost and setting up my water and my fencing and everything on that aspect. But that's kind of, I guess, how I initially stumbled into the whole deal. And then it's all really grown really fast in the past just even year because the more you get into it, involved with it and the how like awesome you see it work, just the more you want to figure out how you can keep doing it. <laughs> yeah, so true. And yeah, so exciting on that journey. Like you said, it, it's just been a couple of years, but yeah, very good. When you found out about rotational grazing, where'd you, did you find that out from SF, FSA or... Yeah, pretty much. Um, Because when I first went into them and was like, hey, I need to buy this farm, they were like, yeah, how? There's no way you're going to make that on just corn, you know? So then that's why they they were like, hey, we have this equip program. We can seed it down and um, we can possibly put some fences in. We can increase our herd herd number to this and kind of go from there. Um, 
And so that was kind of maybe initially, but I also work full time for Purina Animal Nutrition as a beef nutritionist. So first, the two years prior, I mean, I work with a lot of cow-calf producers and some of my customers were rotational grazing too. So I was like kind of just getting like introduced to it through some of those people as well. And then this kind of came up and that's when it was like, this is what I need to do. Oh, yeah. So you'd had some exposure to it. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, when I was an intern, so um, before I started my full-time position, I was an intern at one of the co-ops my junior year. And one of my projects was to have a summer pasture tour series. And that was, I had um, four different events throughout the summer at each location, all at cow-calf places. And two of them that we had it at that first summer were like, really intensively rotational grazing. And so um, it was kind of through that. And I ask a lot of questions all the time that, you know, anytime I find something super intriguing, I just like am all in for it. So I had a little bit of exposure of that. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, this is what I'm doing on my farm now. (laughs) (laughs) You were able to get your grandparents farm. You said you put up uh, electric wires. Did you do perimeter fence? Did you do interior fence? How'd the fencing look and did the equip program cover all that? Yeah. So good question. Like I mentioned, there was like the front, maybe 40 acre section with the timber was already just pasture, but I don't even know if I'd call it that because it hadn't had any really care in like 15 years. So it was probably more a thistle patch or just never had any interceding or nothing to kind of really benefit the grass. So I kind of was starting from scratch with it. And how I ended up setting it up was the back two sections that I call now is what was in crop ground. So then that all got seeded down. And then we've always rented the neighbors right next to it. It's only really like 18 acres, but that was already always in corn. And so knowing I had to do this, I seeded that down as well. That um, because I was taking crop ground out of production and putting it into pasture grass ground I had coverage and you know I had funding for the fences so on the the property lines between me and the neighbors I put like a permanent five barb strand fence in but the farm also runs around the river bottom that never had a fence there before and so that's where I only put um, two strand high tensile along that because if we get a lot of rain sometimes the um, river will come over and I didn't want to put a really super expensive fence in along that. So right. that's kind of how, at least to cover the perimeter, it looked like along the river bottom was just two strand high tensile and the rest perimeter wise, either the fence was there or I added my five barbs in. But then from there, um, I took poly wire, just one strand poly wire and rolled reels out to get my paddock set up. So how it all kind of works now is I have five sections that I move into and I try to have each there right now they're big enough that usually they last like a week to 10 days more in spring of the season or whatever. But I try to have at least three weeks of rest before I go back to that section. Um, And to initially get started, I started with bigger sections. So I, I guess it's way different out West. I don't know what your stocking rate in Oklahoma is, but in Iowa and with intensive rotational grazing with what we're doing, like if you're not rotational grazing, a lot of people can do 
um, two acres per cow-calf pair. Well, when I set my paddocks up, because I knew I was going to be rotational grazing, I'm kind of set up at a pair and a oh, an acre and a half per pair with roughly, you know, 60, 65 cows in 10 to 15 acre sections is how big my um, sections are right now. Oh, yes. And then kind of as I continue to grow, for one, my water project was crazy. Um, in order to get water to the back two sections that were originally corn ground. So that was a big hassle in itself to do that, that I was focusing on getting that situation done first before I divide my sections even smaller. But my goal next year is instead of having five, I'm going to go to eight and see what happens there. So I'm just going to kind of keep making them smaller by using my polywire. So now your, your five sections, you now, you have now your perimeter fence is your five strand bob wire or the two strand high tensile and yeah. then your five sections are created using polywire. Yeah, and then to divide it are just polywire, correct? Yeah. Just one strand polywire. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very good. And this is a a question, it's a pretty simple question, but what type of reels are you using? Are you using any type of reels for your polywire? Um to be honest, I don't know what the brand is it would just be oh okay the reel that i bought like at we call it tyson's but maybe you guys are like farming fleet or runnings i think is what it was down south just your oh. traditional farm store whatever reels would be there is what i use at least the ones that when you drive with a gator you can just hold it and burp, it just goes right on out so i have a few different brands myself just i've got some kin cove i've got um gallagher uh stay fix uh, Terra, Terragate, uh, mm-hmm. they're all pretty much the same. I was just curious what you were using and how you liked it. Yeah, I know the color of it, but I'm not very good at name brand stuff. That's the same for tractors too. A lot of people are like, what is it? And I'm like, I don't know. It drives and gets me where I need it to be. <laughs> so <laughs> That's the yeah. way I am with vehicles. Yeah, people exactly. Always tell me, well, it's so-and-so. I don't know. what What is that? Yeah. Um, I my sure. vehicle has a goal or a purpose of getting me from one point to another point, and I don't want it costing me a lot of money. That's where I'm that, at too. That's the important yep, thing. Hundred percent. Did you purchase uh, like step in or tread in post? Yep. Locally. Yep, just at the local store too. I'm sure as I would get into it more, I'd find some things that work better because the step in posts that I work or that I have now, they bend so easily that they're kind of, they're kind of more a pain in the butt than anything. I actually, before I just got on a podcast tonight, was fixing a polywire that the cows had down, mostly just because of my air. I didn't check it to make sure it was hot. And yeah, a lot of the posts, they just kind of bent over and I'm like, great. (laughs) Oh, yes. Yeah. But anyways, um, as the, the, I guess maybe the part that's a little unique about the areas that I had seeded down that were in crop ground. Um, I followed FSA's guiding guidelines on the one section, and then I kind of got to do what I wanted with the other two. And like I mentioned from when I was at the pasture tours with what I had hosted for work, um, I always kind of talked with the people of what type of mix that they're putting in there. And what works really well in Iowa is to 
incorporate legumes, which some people are like, your cows are going to bloat. But if you have enough grass with it, it is the growth back on the legume for one is crazy. And it has awesome nutritional value for the cows too. So on the sections that I got to choose, I just used like a, a pasture mix, but then I added alfalfa, red clover, and white clover to the mix. And I'm not telling you, like those two sections are just rocking all the time. You move the cows off and two days later, there's so much regrowth. The cows look so good on it because they just, it's just so rich. It has so much nutrition in it. And they're just like the best two sections ever. But the front section that the FSA helped me with is all a warm season mix. Because when they were um, going by their book values like they need to, and they were figuring out how much open ground I had to how many cows I wanted to run on it, and how like our weather and everything is in Iowa, they were like, you need a section that in the heat of the summer, this area is going to be thriving while your other sections are decreasing with the, you know, your cool seasons are decreasing. And I was like, and you know, I'm, I did, like I said, I didn't know that much about it, but when they're going over it, like with some of the mixes in it, I was kind of very like delirious about it. And I was like, I don't know (laughs) if I think this is the best idea. They're like, it's going to take a while to get established, but because we're putting this in a year in advance before you have cows on it, like there's going to be enough time. It's going to be really weedy in the beginning. You're just going to have to clip it, you know, for the first year. But I promise you, this is what's just going to be rocking. And I was like, okay, no, biggest flop of my life. It does not work at whatsoever. We're on year three and it still hasn't grown anything. And actually last fall, like I, I basically had for, two springs in a row, this whole 15 acre section, just turning weeds. The very first year I had cows on it, they, I had to just literally turn them on it to kind of trample down the weeds where a day, maybe a day and a half and then move them right back out. So there was like no benefit to being in, in there at all. Oh yes. Oh, it was a mess. It's always been a mess. So then finally last fall, I was like, listen, I've given you enough time and this is not working. I am incorporating some legumes into this and, and uh, some different grasses. And they're like, yeah, you can do like just a little bit. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I did that. And then this spring looks great. Green. Oh, made, made they've a big difference. gotten to graze through it and it finally actually looks like it's supposed to, not just a whole batch of weeds. <laughs> <laughs> So that was the first initially frustrating part with having to kind of follow what they, you know, were requiring me for guidelines. Cause I was like, I, this isn't going to work. They're like, yeah, based on our numbers and oh, calculations, yeah. this should be great. Did not work. <laughs> I, I love my legumes and I really uh, wish we could have alfalfa here in my area. Alfalfa, if you put it in, it doesn't last and it's, it's just not a, productive um, grass or legume here. Now you go out west, they grow a lot of it, but not where I am. Oh, awesome. I mean, not awesome for you. It's awesome for us. But what's your guys' main one that you use? uh, For So so our pastures are predominantly Bermuda fescue. Oh, mm -hmm. um, mm-hmm. And I say predominantly that 
we have tons of clovers in. We uh, have lots. I want to say lots. It varies by the year. White clover, red clover, arrowleaf clover. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some sweet clover that grows as well. And for the hot summer, we have some lespedizas that come up really good. Uh, we have Cerisa lespediza, which is kind of a mixed bag. It works out good if you can graze it while it's young. If it gets big, cows don't want to eat it, but it works good for sheep and goats. Start getting picky. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. You, They're so dang picky. They'll go, if you know, if you're not, don't have them in a small enough area, all they're going to do is eat that good stuff and just go leave the rest. Oh, yes. Yes. Ah. And that's the, the benefit you get from rotational grazing. Exactly. You're moving them around. They're they're not getting to always go back and keep this one area super short because that's where they like it the best and it's nice and young and tender. Exactly. Yeah. So those like I mentioned, the back two sections that have that in there, when some people well, for one, when I visited that one um farmer's place for my pasture tour, I was like, Oh my gosh, this looks like a hay field. Your cows are out here eating on it. They're like, yeah, we don't have any problem with it. I'm like, really? So then I asked, like, what was your seeding rates and all this stuff with it? So then when I did it with mine and some people came out and looked at it, they, like, were crapping their pants. And they're like, your cows are going to tip over. They're going to blow. They're going to die. This is, how can they eat this? And I'm like, it's the best stuff ever. They love it. They're so happy. (laughs) Very good. And they look good. Their body condition is wonderful. Oh, yeah. yeah, I always get told my cows are maybe a little over conditioned. And I'm like, well, I don't feed them anything. All they're doing is grazing. So that's from grass. So exactly. <laughs> right. Now you mentioned getting water back to the the back sections. How did you do your watering system? Yeah, so that's been the biggest challenge ever. Oh my gosh. Um, there's not a natural spring or anything that runs through any part of this whole farm. So um the only thing that I have to work with is the well that's up front. And actually way back in the day, um, how many, you know, oh gosh, it's, it was before I was born. So at least 25 years ago, my grandpa actually had 1500 sows farrow to finish out on this farm that I purchased the home farm. And so he had a hog building and there was two different wells on the farm. And so only one well was working and the, um, the water of the well that was working could only hold enough pressure for two sections that I was in. And then from there, I just kind of was thinking, what can I do? So the well was there, but it was actually the pressure tank that wasn't working. And so I, through the equipment, area was able to get the second well on the farm that hadn't been used in 20 plus years back in production. And then I have an inch and a half pipe that goes over 3000 feet up and down some hills to the back sections to get the cows water. And I just, I just got that set up like a month and a half ago. Last year when I had cows on it, I had a trash pump that I pumped from the river into tanks twice a day when I was back there, mostly from the fact of my farm that I have, it's split in two counties. And so when I first did my equip program, they didn't realize that. And so it was only approved for one part of it 
of the county in the front part, which was the very, like where I had to bring the pipe the longest, didn't have any funding. And so I could have, you know, put the project in, but it was over like $14,000 to do this. And if I didn't have any, you know, help from the equip, that would have just been all out of pocket. And so I kind of, for the very first year last year, just kind of did what I needed to, to get by. And then finally I had a new application come through and I got it approved that just in like the middle of July this year, I got my water back there. And so because I have that, that's why I'm saying next year, I'm going to now be able to divide those back two sections even smaller. Oh, yes. Because my water is finally there. <laughs> oh, water's such a big deal on, on how you divide your um, paddocks up and everything. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's So that that's was, very like said, exciting was, to have that. Yeah. That was the biggest challenge when I first started because there's not a there's not a spring or creek or anything through the whole property ever. So every <laughs> single section besides the front section, I have to manually get them water somehow by moving tanks and starting all this stuff. <laughs> Things we do for rotational grazing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but but it makes you appreciate the end result so much more. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Some people think I'm crazy. They're like, why would you go through all that work? Just let them do the whole section. And I was like, no way. All of the benefits I see from this and the, it, it, it has extended my grazing number days for one. I've gone from 20 to 65 cows on it, which is crazy. That never had happened before. They're in way better condition. It, it's, there's just the, the list is never ending of why rotational grazing is just awesome. I have to agree. It is. Let's talk about your cows for just a little bit. What kind of cows are you running and have, has your family always had that type of cattle or have you changed it up some? Um, so like I said, we've always had cows at least, just in some of the parts of the home farm, but they were a mix of everything, kind of whatever grandpa had at the sale barn. Um, and when I bought my first cows and the cows that I bought to increase to get to my 60 some is pretty much all primarily Angus. Half of them are registered. The other one are just commercial Angus cows. Um, and we were having a purebred Angus bull on them for a little bit, which we still do. But then on the registered cows this year, we put a Hereford on them. Mostly from the fact of, maybe we'll touch base of this later, but we finished out our home home raised calves. And in January of this year, I just launched our beef business. And so I sell um, our beef in individual cuts. It's dry aged and I ship all across the United States. And the Hereford breed is known for carcass and marbling. Um, and so we selected a bull that was really high in that aspect to kind of take our end product the beef to the next level. And I mean, Angus cows, mostly from the fact of they always sell the best, you know, like black hided sells better. And I just kind of like for one, the docility and utter and just, I really like the Angus cows. All valid reasons. You, you touched upon your, you're finishing your own calves and shipping the beef. Mm-hmm. Is that a, a recent addition? 
Well, we've always fed our own cattle our whole life. Um, whether it's ones my grandpa purchased or our home raised one, we've always just finished cattle in the feedlot. But as far as, um, usually they would just get sold like directly to the packing facilities or to the local sale barn. And, you know, they're all potlowed at once. The addition to the beef business of now selling our own off the farm to different consumers came in January of this year. Um, mm, there's kind of a couple different reasons why I had started it, but for one to, diversify our operation and hopefully add in a different avenue of income that maybe some day when it continues to grow, hopefully I can just be farming full-time because uh, working a full-time job and farming full-time gets to be a lot most days. And I know at the end of the day where my heart and passion is, but as a young beginner farmer who had to buy a farm out of nowhere and then do all this work and add extra cows and everything, I am very much um, kind of strapped with where I'm at. Everything, I'm just a lot of money in debt, let's just say. <laughs> and I need a consistent income <laughs> of a job right now. So the whole beef thing came just trying to bring in a different avenue of income that will maybe get me where I want to be someday. Um, on top of in college, a lot of my friends told me, you know, what I was doing as far as how involved I am on the farm and what I do at home and everything just was kind of pretty unique. And with that, I kind of just took their advice and started a social media page and just started sharing about what I'm doing to advocate for agriculture because the disconnect between farmers and the consumer grows every day. And I think it's so important. Oh, yeah. So I initially started it like that. And then some of my peop my followers were asking me if they could purchase my beef. And I was like, no, you can't actually like, well, you can buy it in the grocery store, but I have no way to track, you know, track that it's mine. So then my brain just kind of kept spinning and that's, that's why I kind of did it. <laughs> so are you taking your uh, beef to a local USDA approved or inspected processor and then yep. getting the meat and shipping it? I wouldn't say that it's local. It's over two hours away from home that I drive oh, to yes. drop, off, drop off steers. Um, but yeah, it's a federally inspected plant and that's the only way that I can sell outside of Iowa. So right. they have been awesome to work with. They, they kind of started this, you know, small facility to find people like myself that kind of want to do that you know, custom selling. So they'll do the cuts I want to, the packaging I want to, the custom label on it. That part of it is super cool. And they also hang it an extra 21 days, which is what I, you know, I kind of want that, the dry aging on it. And so they have that ability to do it, that the distance doesn't really matter when it meets everything that I want. <laughs> right. If everything else is working for you, a little bit more time there is well worth it. Yes, Absolutely. So on your marketing of your beef and selling it, have you seen a lot of growth there? Um, yes, I would say more than I initially expected. <laughs> I'm just oh, nine well, months in. Um, and you never know. I mean, I started out kind of on a whim and I had a goal of selling 10 in the first year, like 10 of our own home raised ones, which doesn't sound like a lot, but you got to start somewhere. Yes. And I surpassed that in like six months. And so 
yeah, it just really kind of keeps continuing to keep growing. Um, my one year will be in January and I just kind of keep adding a few small things and keep getting the word out. All that I do for selling wise is on social media. I don't go to any farmer market or anything. Um, cause I don't really have time for that. So based on kind of right. how I go and market it, I'm, yeah, I'm happy with where it's at. It's a lot of fun. The people you get to meet and connections you get to make conversations you get to have. I didn't realize that would be my favorite part of it, but just echoing on that, just the conversations and the people I meet through this podcast. It's just amazing. Yeah. Network, isn't it? It's just such uh, a small community world. It's been built. Yes, yeah. it is. Yes. One thing I noticed, I think on your Instagram page, you had, uh, you put your brand on your boxes. Yes. I bought a hot iron, a yeah, branding iron and I branded on the side of them. I, I saw that actually idea from somebody else that is in California that ships beef. Um, like as far as just kind of somehow finding a way to brand your boxes. And I'm like, I'm doing that. I think it's cool. It adds like that next personable touch. <laughs> I thought it was great when I saw it. And I was like, why have not I, not that we sell beef or ship anything, but why haven't I seen that more? Because that is such a wonderful idea. And, Thank you. and anybody who sees your box sees the brand on it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, just this past week when I was shipping, I dropped my boxes off at a UPS store and it absolutely made my day. One of my, one of the workers there, um, I walked in and he's like, oh, it's my favorite lady that has the best boxes out of anybody that brings stuff oh, here. Yes. I'm like, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Very good. Now you, you've started down this journey and you've, um, you've done lots of changes and we talked about your challenge of getting your water to different places. What other challenges have you had? I guess I would say a challenge for in Iowa is just to have an extended grazing season. Um, we're a very heavy row crop type state. And so pasture and grass ground is really hard to come by. And if you do have it, you seem like you never have enough for the cows that you want to have. And so traditionally, like our grazing season would be from May through September, October, depending on how you do, you know, how you intensify your rotational graze and stuff. But then from there, I would say there might be some people if they have the ground, but like for me in my instance, like I only have my farm that I purchased for grass. Everything else that we have is all in row crops or hay. So I'm just always thinking, how can I continue to extend my grazing season for my cows? Because every day that they graze is less work for me and more money in my pocket. And so my biggest challenge, I guess, is how can I limit the amount of days that I have to winter feed them? And so then that kind of leads into Something we tried just last fall, everybody else looked at me like I was crazy once again. Um, uh, so we put in 60 inch twin rows for our corn, corn ground on one of our farm. And usually the traditional approach is maybe 20 to 30 inch rows. Um, and then at the V4 stage, so when the corn wasn't even up past knee length, we took a drill 
and drilled in a cover crop species in between the corn. It was like 10, it was like 16 different species that were in that. Um, some of the species we chose were um, like, we used kind of like a sun hemp plant that helped take the bugs off of the silts of the corn. So just from like an insecticide standpoint, you didn't have to use spray for that. Um, And then we also use like a bunch of different clovers and stuff that help with fixing nitrogen. But then we add, you know, added in like rye and different grasses to hopefully have that there at once the corn was out to then be able to graze. And so we did that last fall and it just looks really weird because you have two rows of corn and then all of a sudden it's green in the middle. Um, but I had like 120 acres of this that we combined and then I had over a hundred cows on it and I strip grazed that as well. I made my poly wires. The, the farm was around, the farm was, um, perimeter fenced of wire five strand, but then I just took one strand reels and I moved that as well. And I actually broke that into, I think it was like six or seven sections as I got through it. And I wrote, and I like rotational graze through the stocks cover crop mix as well. Um, and so that extended my grazing days all the way up until December 23rd, when the previous oh, year nice. we were extra dry and I was actually feeding by September 10th. And so oh. that was like an extra, almost three months of grazing that I hadn't had and the cows loved it obviously. Um, and it oh, was yeah. a really cheap way to feed my cows. So it ended up being under, it was like 72 cents per cow per day by the end of it for what the seed cost was to what they ended up getting through that. And yeah, that was super cool. I'm way sold on that deal. And we're going to continue to keep doing that every year that as soon as the cows out on some of the grounds, we're putting the cows out to graze on that. Oh, yes. Where do you um, where do you see yourself going or your farm going in the next few years? You just mentioned one of them, continuing with yeah. the, the cover crops yeah. with the row crops. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so my goal is to get to 200, maybe even 300 cows. Right now I'm at a little over 100 because we actually have a fall herd as well. We have a spring and a fall calving herd because with the beef program, I need animals ready at different times of the year. Oh, yes. However, the challenge is just to find grass. So like the fall cows are just on rented grass. And as of right now, it's not set up that we can rotational graze. So I'm either going to, my goal is to either put some of our like sandier, non high performing crop ground and seed that down and try to get more grass that way or purchase some pasture or find some more to rent to just continue to keep growing the cow herd. Um, and as far as how I can get my rotational grazing in there, I guess probably just continue to keep trying to make my section, my section smaller each year to see if I can make my season longer, or if I continue to add more cows on the grass that I do have. Um, and I, from there, just keep learning and keep getting involved in things like this to just have some sort of trigger of, oh my gosh, I never thought about that. I need to try that. (laughs) That's the cool thing about the internet and technology and the resources we have. There's so much out there and there's so much to learn. So you never know what you can hear that you can incorporate in what you're doing. Right. And, and one thing I want to touch on that, um, 
you hear something, a lot of times the first time you hear it, it just goes in one ear and out the other ear. It takes Mm -hmm. a few times, kind of like your exposure to rotational grazing. You saw that a few times, then it came up through FSA, and now you're doing it. But as we consider these things, a lot of times, the first time or first few times we see stuff or hear about it, it doesn't make the impact till later on. You're like, oh, wait. Exactly. Yeah. Wait, I did hear that. And oh, that's what that means. How that's how I can incorporate that. Yes. Yeah, totally agree. Lily, before we move into our famous four questions. Is there anything else you'd like to add that maybe I didn't ask? Or maybe I asked and and we need to go over it more. Um I don't think so. I guess I guess like so far at least in my area and just the weather and environment we live in, what I have learned to be best is diversification. Diversify, diversify, diversify for the mixes that you have. It is so much more productive and you get so much more out of your grasses if you have diversification in it. And what I have incorporated so far is different legumes that work really well. Um, But who knows what else we can do to add. Um, But really the grass does so much better if you just have multiple different species in there to just kind of help it keep going through. So that's probably... The number one thing I've learned so far, and like I said, it's relatively new to me. So, and also don't be afraid to try something new. So you never know where it's going to take you. Very true. Very true. Well, Lily, we appreciate you sharing thus far with your, about your journey and your operation. It's time for our famous four questions. Same four questions we ask of all of our guests. Our first question is, What's your favorite grazing grass related book or resource? Um, so I don't get much time to read. I'm a very big podcast listener. And so the two kind of relative to that um, would be, I just started listening to one called Roots and Ruminants. Oh, yes. Podcast. Um, really good information on that. And there's also one called the No-Till Podcast, which that's maybe a little bit more kind of not grass-related, but they talk a lot about cover crops on that uh, that um, podcast. So those are my two. I've been told by multiple people that I don't remember the title of it, but I need to read a book that Gabe Brown wrote. Do you Have you heard of that before? Yes. Actually, I have it on my notes to tell you. Uh, check into Dirt to Soil. Yes, um, by Gabe that's Brown. what it's called. I have had yes. like a couple of people tell me you really need to read this, and it's one of those deals that I've always I've had it wrote down for six months, and I just have it. So I know I need oh, to read it because I'm sure it'll be really good. Yes. Yeah. Go go buy it and read it. He is a little bit north of you. He does row crops, cover crops. Um, he talks about, uh, you know, the cover crops, a polyculture, tremendous number of species he's putting in. A lot of the things you're talking about, I think you might gain some stuff from it. Right. Uh, I've heard that's based on what I'm trying to do. I, I need to read that. So the fact that you were mentioning it too, that must be the sign. 
Yeah, I I wrote it down here because I thought I'll I need to mention that to you in a little bit if you haven't heard <laughs> of it. Yeah. I'm definitely a podcast listener because I spend a lot of time in my vehicle. Oh yes. Yeah, that's the nice thing about podcasts. Uh driving down the road, you can get something out of that time. Yes. Our second question. What tool could you not live without on your farm? Um, maybe this is, this probably isn't like related to the whole grass part, but honestly, I don't know if we could survive without our skid loader on our farm. Oh yes. We use it every day, all day for literally everything. Uh, I feed cattle every single morning. I have to use my skid loader. We scrape yards, we haul manure, we haul in bales. We could, we don't know what we would do without our skid loader. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I could see that. Yeah. What would you tell someone just starting out on this journey, rotational grazing and trying to do the cover crops, et cetera? I would say to start small and don't be in, I guess, find the people in your area that are already incorporating it and doing a good job at it and get them on your side and your team because especially with the rotational grazing cover type crop type things, at least in this area, everybody is so excited to talk about it and they are so open and willing to share their experience and what they have done, what's worked and what's not. And that's just been the biggest advantage or help to me is having those people to look to or I just, Hey, I got a question. I'll, I'll call this person today. Hey, can you come out here and look at this? What do you think about this? So um, don't feel like you need to know it all in the beginning because I didn't know anything. <laughs> and you can learn as you go. But I guess for me, when I started, I just started small, just getting sections and stuff rotated off. And then as I continue to keep growing, I'm just going to try to keep subdividing all of that and keep going with it. Very good and excellent advice there. Start small, find a mentor. Yeah, mm -hmm. both great things. Yes. And lastly, where can others find out more about you? Um, Beringer Family Farms on Facebook and Instagram is where I probably spend most of my time. Um, I share just daily up-to-dates all the time, different types of things going on around the farm. And then I all, we also have a website, BeringerFamilyFarms.com. It's where you can learn a little bit more about me and the beef program and also order any beef if you want it shipped right to your door. Right. And I think on that shipping beef, I think on your Instagram, you have a map of all the states you've shipped to. Yes. You're still working on a few more states to get in there. Huh? I am. I've shipped to, I think it's 38 states so far, but I still have some more to fill. That's impressive. Thank you. Well, Lily, we appreciate you coming on and sharing with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you. I enjoyed being here. I hope you enjoyed hearing about Lily's operation as much as I did. Sounds like she's on um, the path to do great things, and I'm excited to see where they go. Earlier in the podcast, I mentioned about a giveaway. Well, let's talk about it. It'll only take you a couple minutes to do. So here's what I'd like for you to do. 
Go to Apple Podcast or Spotify or wherever you listen to our podcast and leave us a review. The review helps us get the word out about our podcast. And after leaving the review, let's try that again. After third try, after leaving the review, take a screenshot of it and email it to me at cal. C-A-L at grazinggrass.com. And at the end of the week, we will draw a winner from all those entries. And the winner will receive a copy of Greg Judy's latest book, How to Think Like a Grazer. We really appreciate it and look forward to someone getting that fantastic book. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast. Helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers, and every episode features a grass farmer in their operation. You can find the Grazing Grass Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and we encourage you to share our posts with others. We appreciate it. Are you a grass farmer? Would you like to share your journey? Go to grazinggrass.com, click on be our guest and fill out the form and we'll be in touch. And if you listened this long to the podcast, wonderful and thank you. We have one more thing to announce. At grazinggrass.com, if you click on the community button, actually it's not a button, it's a link. Click on the community link. It takes you to a forum that I've set up for the Grazing Grass community. And look around there, sign up for our account, and tell us about you. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can do that there. Until next time, keep on grazing grass. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I know I did. Thank you for listening. And if you found something useful, please share it. Share it on your social media. Tell your friends, get the word out about the podcast. Helps us grow. If you happen to be a grass farmer and you'd like to share about your journey, go to grazinggrass.com and click on Be Our Guest. Fill out the form and I'll be in touch. We appreciate your support by sharing our episodes and telling your friends about it. You can also support our show by buying our merch. We get a little bit back from that. Another way to support the show is by becoming a Grazing Grass Insider. Grazing Grass Insiders enjoy bonus content, monthly Zooms, and discounts. You can visit the website, grazinggrass.com, click on support, and they'll have the links there. Also, if you haven't left us a review, please do. It really helps us as people are searching for podcasts. And I was just checking them. And we do not have very many reviews for 2024. So if you haven't left us a review, please do. And until next time, keep on grazing grass.